we haven't seen the lag effects. And I want to emphasize this again. We're all flying blind. Every bull, by the way, is flying blind on this because everybody, due to the price action, assumes, assumes that nothing bad is going to happen as a result of that. I disagree. It will happen. The question is, is the when. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. When today's guest expert was last on this program in February, he explained how bulls and bears were locked in a battle for control, with the battle zone roughly defined between 3,800 and 4,300 on the S&P. Well, that battle's now been won by the bulls. On the day of this recording, the S&P now sits just above 4,400. So where to from here? Does the market have a clear path to new highs, or may the bears launch a counteroffensive? To get the best sense of exactly what the technicals are telling us right now, we're fortunate to welcome Sven Henrik of Northman Trader back on the program to discuss both his latest macro and market outlooks. Sven, thanks so much for joining us today, all the way from the UK. Adam, good to see you. I'm glad to be with you. Thanks. Always a pleasure, buddy. Uh, we have great conversations when you're on. Uh, I don't expect this to be any different. Uh, so thanks so much for taking the time late your day for this. Uh, this should be fun. Um, lots of questions for you. I know you've prepared a lot of charts for this discussion. Um, I know folks can't wait to, to dive into the, the details of them. But before we do, just to start off at a high level, what's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Well, thanks for the kind introduction there, Adam. Um, the global macro and market structure is, in my view, kind of repeating history in many ways. And so a lot of what we're seeing right now is not surprising. However, we also are faced with new elements in this cycle, I think that we all need to be aware of because they are market impacting as well. And I'll give you an example on the macro side, we just had the Fed obviously continuing to raise rates uh, in above 5% now, uh, yet markets seem rather sanguine about it. And I want to just highlight that, that that is not unusual. This is what we've seen in cycles prior. In fact, markets like it when the Fed is perceived to be pausing. And typically, that tends to be initially very supportive of equities. We saw this, for example, in, in the 2006-2007 period. We saw it just before the 2000 uh, top. So markets uh, traditionally have a runway especially in, in the context of now inflation rolling over. I think that's something that a lot of us had hoped for, obviously, and anticipated. And frankly, it was in the math. It was in the math of these extreme spikes mm -hmm. that we had following COVID and the supply chain issues. And, and so you were always going to get lower inflation, uh, frankly, because that's what the math dictated vis-a-vis -vis the year-over-year numbers. Uh, what is not clear yet is in terms of the speed in which, for example, you may get core inflation down. That is looking rather sticky at the moment. And I'll talk more about that as well. But clearly the, the market has a sense of relief. And, and we've seen that before as well. Uh, I think 1982, for example, and everybody's happy and, you know, piling back into equities. Uh, so on, on the, and the labor market is still holding up, although you can maybe argue a little bit about the veracity of some of the data because we have so many adjustments going on with birth death models and, and so mm -hmm. forth. So it's, it's a bit noisy, I have to say. 
but for now, the economy is holding in and you don't have a clear breakdown. Although on the macro front, leading indicators continue to be dreadful on the negative side. We have issues and obviously in small business confidence. There's a lot of recessionary indicators out there that the market is currently ignoring. We're back into, remember in early February, we were back to the, uh, the either soft landing or no landing narrative. And we're back to that. And I, I yeah. think price drives a lot of that sentiment because as price goes up, the worst is over and every, everybody's happy again, right? Um, and from a market perspective, uh, what we've just seen uh, is, is not entirely unexpected, but it's also stunning in the way it is unfolding. Uh, so let me give you the technicals. First off, when we spoke last spoke, I wanted to give everybody a quick update in terms of how it has unfolded and why it has unfolded, because I think it's really important from a perspective uh, assessment. First of all, when we last spoke, we talked about that battle of, of control. I talked about a breakout out of a larger bullish pattern. And, and let me just back up briefly on this. I, I also mentioned last year being kind of the most controlled bear market ever, because we always saw these lower highs in the VIX. We saw these clean structures. And as a, I was a bit suspicious about all this, and, and I had highlighted at the beginning of the year that there was never really a bear market because the yearly five EMA always held as support. Uh, the monthly 50 EMA always held as a port and the larger trend lines, support trend lines from the 2009 lows to the 2020 bottom, they always held. So bears were never able to break and confirm a bear market on any of these levels. The question then was, okay, if you have a these falling wedges, bullish structures, can they play out? Can they take out resistance ahead? And one of the key resistance points was the monthly 20MA. And we've broken above, okay? And we've broken above and reaching here the 4430 zone. The 4430 zone was a key level for me because December 20th, I actually put out a chart on Twitter, which talked about this potential cup and handle pattern that pointed precisely to 44.30. And we hit that last week, actually exceeded it for a little bit, but on both days that it did, it also reversed back below it. So the, what it tells me is that the market finds the structure of relevance. Doesn't mean a top is in, but it's certainly reflective of the, the technical targets. That's why I mentioned earlier when, you know, a few months ago when we spoke, 4,300 to 4,400 was that battle of zone control target area. And we got there um, now with basically a vertical move since June. Now, why, what happened in the interim? And this is really important. When we had the initial breakout, you know, this was in the February timeframe. Then we had this back test, which was important from a technical perspective. Would the back test hold? And it initially did. And we had a bounce from there. So that was all indicative that everything was hunky-dory, all right? But then the SVB banking event happened, right? And everything changed. And this is really important because it, it leads to where we are now. And it's also important in terms of how this may be going on further. Uh, remember last time we spoke, one of the one of the checkpoints I had, what about at the October lows? This was the infamous Yellen concerned 
headline. Yellen was concerned about liquidity in the treasury market. This was when the UK guild was, you know, throwing havoc in, in Europe. And that was the end of the VIX at that time, right? And it turns out now in hindsight, we know why, because actually from a global monetary perspective, that's when it all stopped in terms of balance sheets reductions. They started balance sheets on an aggregate basis went back up. This is so important from a global liquidity perspective because it explains everything that happened in markets thereafter. And the reason I raise that is because guess what? There was a couple of days when the SVB crisis happened and all of a sudden the back test looked like to fail and S&P dropped lower for a couple of days. It broke below. And guess what the headline was that came out? Yelling concerned. Okay, which was obviously in regards to the banking crisis and then started unfolding. And guess what they did? They did it what they always do. They intervened. Yeah, a new funding facility. Yeah. Hundreds of billions of dollars. First, it was the Fed just basically piling back into the balance sheet. But more importantly, and this is this is what's explaining all the action we've seen since, because we haven't seen any corrective move since then, none. It was the change in bank reserve balances. Last year during this, I now call it a correction, uh, during the correction, we had a just superbly clean relationship between the level of bank reserves and what happened with the S&P. You know, when, when you saw the June lows, you know, that that was the bottom basically for bank reserves. They rallied them back up. We got this massive rally in August. We had that even earlier in the year. You know, you can you can go back and just compare that chart. It's it's pretty amazing. Uh, tech bottomed on January fourth. The same day, bank reserves balances bottomed, and they started raising them in in January. And this was all related to. Janet Yellen concerns liquidity and, and, and everything else. So they basically kind of intervened and, and, and put a kibosh on this whole monetary tightening piece. And when then the banking crisis happened, they just accelerated that dramatically to the effect that now the net effect is half a trillion dollars added in the first six months of this year. Okay. So you, if you, Forget macro, forget earnings, forget anything else. Liquidity remains just the most important driver. And I hate to tell this everyone, you know, how this flows kind of determines everything, you know, as long and, and as long as they remain in full control and wanting to intervene at any given step, when they feel uncomfortable, like they did in October, like they certainly felt uncomfortable in March, they can crank it up and boom, here we go. But what's happened since then, uh, you know, a lot of this liquidity actually flowed into just a few stocks, right? And we got on top of the liquidity, we got a narrative, obviously AI, it's going to solve every problem in the world. It's going to lead to fantastic productivity increases. And boom, you had, you had a combination of liquidity flows, under position um, fund managers, bearish positioning, uh, on on sentiment, both in in funds and in retail, and now you get into the the Isaac Newton 
reference that we made last time, which was, oh, you know, okay, so, you know, I, I made some money on the long side, and now it just keeps going up, it keeps going up, it keeps going up. And all of a sudden, just in those last probably three, four weeks, we've seen a complete flip in sentiment. What was bearish is now bullish. AAII, you name it, fund manager positioning, which was really low, is really high. And everybody is chasing valuations, be damned vertically up into some of the most overbought readings that we've seen during to like 2021 period, like it was key money printing. And ironically, if, if you're kind of a structural bear, this is ideally what you wanted to have seen. Right. I mean, I, I came in from at, at the beginning of the year, I said, you know, makes sense to see a rally in the first half of the year. And then if we get into the lag effects of the rate hikes into the second half of the year, then then maybe there is that potential where things can actually roll over. Okay. That was that was kind of a premise, and it's an unproven premise. The first half kind of worked out. N now we get into the second half. And, and a really important point here. Lag effects typically, and people can argue about this, and who, no one knows with the precision of this, but let's say 12 to 18 months. Last June, we were still below a 1% Fed funds rate. It was not until June 19th actually popped for the first time over 1%. So we're, we're st in, in terms of lag effects, we're still in this very early period here of starting to see to filter that through. But the issue is, and this is something we all have to face, is you know th this is so unclear in terms of when it actually hits. And I think the Fed actually has a problem because remember, Jay Powell wanted to be all Folker in August of last year and have this great tightening program and, and everything else. Well, when you have an, a NASDAQ with a 79 RSI, you don't have any tightening, you have monetary loosening through the roof, which is interesting because the Fed claims financial conditions have tightened. They haven't tightened. They've been loosening like wild this year. So having now reached some key technical levels with now superb optimism here into the summer and the VIX absolutely crushed. And I should I should add one, one other really important component here, which is, uh, that's what I was alluding to for uh, being different, maybe to previous cycles. What we have this time is this massive um, gamified options complex with zero day, one day options, which has a tremendous amplifying effect, I believe, in terms of the market action that we're seeing. When you, when you go into record call volumes, by far in small caps in S&P where those type of options all of a sudden make up the vast majority of the entire options complex, you, you get exacerbated moves, uh, especially on, a, on an intraday basis, because I, I see it in the price action when it just goes vertical, you know, that, that there's no organic, okay, now I think it's a good time to buy something. It's just, completely vertical and there's no there's no two-way price discovery and i'll finish up on this note by this continuing to happen basically every week you can you know you 
Fridays, for example, is a classic day, except this last Friday when we hit key resistance. But by by ha this happening week after week after week after week, people may be forgetting what they're actually buying because at, at some point, maybe valuations, you know, for a period, they may not matter, but at some point they do. When I see companies that are worth a trillion two trillion two and a half trillion three trillion dollars like apple almost at three trillion dollars again baking in valuations that would require many years of perfection to grow into i mean forget pe's for a moment but i'll, I'll just mention ford pe's I mean, microsoft and apple they're, they're sitting at 30 34 ford pe's that's rich in any type of setting for for companies that are worth over two and a half trillion dollars wow that that's a lot of optimism but you know go back back to a very basic market ratio which is price earnings growth peg ratio you know maybe i'm old school but you know fairly valued used to be 1.0 richly valued used to be 2.0 microsoft's at three apple's at four you know that that's a lot of optimism built in so I, it's going to be interesting from my perspective now, and just I'll finish up on this note finally, this rally has gotten so vertical, so optimistic. It's now disconnected, what was disconnected in the October lows from key moving averages. We've now disconnected really high uh, on the moving averages to the upside. Uh, and that's where you typically get into a point of rebalancing. And I think that rebalancing process that's coming is then going to be deciding factor what happens next. All right. That was a great intro. Um, there's so many threads I want to pull from there. Um, maybe just to, to try to summarize everything you said, this is what I heard where, you know, tech, you, uh, uh, Sven, you're a technical analyst. Um, so that's the lens you primarily look through. Um, but I know you also did to, to to be a macro analyst as well, and you, you bring that in. And what I heard you say is prices are now extremely disconnected from their key moving averages uh, on the high side now, just as you said they were back in October on the low side. Um, <clears throat> uh, so you would expect some sort of reversion at some point just from that alone. Um, you, you talked about this a little bit less, but I think I heard you say they're pretty disconnected from a fundamentals side right now when you're talking about just the levels of overvaluation, the, the key, key valuation ratios. Then I also heard you say um, there's been a pronounced sentiment shift, right? Bull markets climb a wall of worry. And I think that's more or less what we saw from October to now, helped by liquidity, which I want to ask you about in a minute. Um, <clears throat> but now all of a sudden, everybody's bullish. You're euphoric all of a sudden and you're saying okay that's that's a classic market where a bear reversion you know loves to come into play where all of a sudden everybody is now you know expecting sunny skies ahead forever you're nodding as i'm saying all this but but am, am i correct in those sort of three big pillars that you you see suggesting odds of a, of a, a reversion being non-dismissible going forward yeah i mean look I, we went from a process of bearishness to capitulation uh, where I think a lot of bears have capitulated. We see that on the banking side as well. A lot of bank analysts have flip-flopped. Not all of them, uh, but but some of them clearly have. Uh, we saw price targets being raised all over the place. That's part of the capitulation process. And and be clear. I mean, I I'm not saying you know 
bears have any leg to stand on. Bulls are in full control here. You know, just the fact that you are above all these moving averages, nothing has mattered at this point. Uh, they are in full control. And as long as the liquidity equation doesn't change, and we should probably tag on that a bit more as well, um, it, they're going to stay in control. In fact, I, I can give you some charts that are probably could scare the hell out of any remaining bear. I'll, I'll give you one example is the Dow Jones. The Dow, the Dow Jones, you know, just kept holding, holding its um, uptrend. There was this period where equal weight was horrifically lagging uh, as these top 10 stocks basically just vertically lifted everything up. Um, and now you can talk about maybe the catch-up trade as tech is becoming really overbought. And you look at the Dow and you can make the case, well, here's a beautiful inverse head and shoulders. And guess what? That's pointing to new all-time highs, right? Uh, you can clearly make that case. If I look at the S&P uh, on a monthly basis, you, know, you can look at the long-term trend. It never broke. That's what I was alluding to earlier. We had this bullish falling wedge. It broke out. And now it's above the monthly 20 MA. That was one of my key points. But my key point then was also not only getting above it, but then also defending it as support. And as long as that holds, yeah, bulls remain in control. And with, with that, you can go back to the yearly chart, which is where I talked of yearly five EMA holding a support last year and being defended. And, and maybe this is a this is a brutal chart for bears in general, because it basically says we've been in a bull market since 1932. <laughs> 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 no, I'm serious. I mean, if, if you, you know, 1929 crashed aside where you had four years down in a row, and then World War II aside, which obviously was just obviously a historic event. If you go back to that, in the last 75 years, there's just been a couple events where there was two down years in a row. That was in the 70s, and that was in 2000, 2002. I mean, even the global financial crisis, it was just one down year. Right. And that was it. And then we had a temporary new low in the second year, and they everything got rescued. And, and ever since then, it's it's been one year wonders, and off you went into the next few years of, of bull market. So that's why I go back and say, you know, in the context of everything, uh, bears have never shown that there was a bear market. And if you if you follow to the top trend line, you know, you can make the case, you know, five thousand four hundred or six thousand, whatever, whenever it, it tacks. And that was the end of it, right? If 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 nothing matters, and they they you know, whenever there is trouble, and they intervene, which they clearly do, then that's that's your bull case for sure. So you know, right. now so, now. So now just just on that, let me interject because it seems like such a core part of the bull case, um, and and we could have had this discussion before this past year, is liquidity, right? I mean, the correlation between the markets and and net global liquidity is super tight. Um, I guess the question I have is 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 what what do you think of as the best measure of liquidity? It's 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 such a prime driver of asset prices but i don't know if there's like a universally accepted uh you know chart for it and and we're having this conversation you're not the first one to mention this recently on this program this liquidity sort of driving everything here 
And I kind of feel like, boy, we should all wake up in the morning and just be looking at that chart because it's really going to tell us what's going to happen. So oh. what do you look at to measure liquidity? Well, I mean, uh, as in the last few months, I've been looking at bank reserves because that's for now the the absolute driver of, of everything. And unfortunately, we do not get the intention of it. We don't get it in advance. We get it on Thursday nights after market close and it tells me what happened, right? Yeah. Um, let me let me back up uh, a little bit because this is this was presented as this great tightening cycle. And in terms of rate hikes being the fastest rate hikes we've seen in 40 years, it certainly seems very impressive that they finally caught up to that and we haven't seen the lag effects. And I want to emphasize this again. We're all flying blind. Every bull, by the way, is flying blind on this because everybody, due to the price action, assumes, assumes that nothing bad is going to happen as a result of that. I disagree. It will happen. The question is, is the when. You know, 2006, 2007, it took a year and a half. But then debt to GDP was 60%. Now it's 120% and mm -hmm. going much higher now. You know, let's let's not kid ourselves. You know, this fiscal responsibility act they just passed to extend the debt ceiling. We're going to see a two trillion dollar deficit again. We're going over fifty trillion dollars in debt in the next ten years. That that's the path we're on. And so government spending remains extremely high, which also distorts everything because it's all counted towards GDP on on some level. I mean, the spending remains there. Um, but if you look at uh, the monetary tightening cycle, I mean, just look at the Fed balance sheet and you just step back and you go, are, are they actually kidding us? I mean, the, the, the net reduction so far from pre, you know, in, in total is, is less than 7%. Yeah. You know, the, the, there hasn't been much reduction at all in in you know they pile in like wild you know they, they piled in five trillion dollars from the you know 2019 or 2018 low and and this is in a matter of a couple of years right i mean they just piled in like crazy and now they're just ever so gently reducing with you know 400 billion dollars thrown in in a couple of weeks when they needed right. to uh during the the banking event um they haven't really reduced liquidity in that sense in fact if i view this as all through okay has has all this excess that was thrown into the system has that actually been taken out and the answer is no i see people citing m2 money supply it's true that the year over year change is dramatically negative but if if i look at m2 as an absolute M2 money supply still to this day is 33% higher than it was just pre-COVID. Yeah. There's still just a ton of excess and liquidity flowing about. You know, and, and as, as I said, with, with bank reserves, it, we've been on a net ad basis to the tune of $500 billion this year. Where's the great tightening? The Bank of Japan is never going to stop monetary easing. I, I, that, that's just... That's just a fact. So if, if you're viewing in an inflation fight, flight, a fight through the lens of, okay, are we reducing excess? And that's, you know, the evidence is simply not there. And so then you, you face the risk now with asset prices going vertical 
that the wealth effect that you try to tone down is actually going to result in resurging inflation again. Right. Because if you look at total net worth, household net worth, it dipped a little bit last year in Q1 and went back up. I don't know. We're going to close the quarter in a couple of weeks. But because housing prices haven't really corrected dramatically either. either. If you look at uh, the, the, the Zillow Home Value Index vis-a-vis the MBS holdings of the Fed, they have barely reduced the barely begun to reduce the excess of what they piled in following COVID. And lo and behold, house prices remain really high. Housing affordability is just dreadful. So there's there's really been no worst ever for new home buyers. Yeah. And so before you know it, you know, you're close back to record highs in household net worth. And that's going to somehow solve structural inflation. I mean, yeah, there's all these year-over-year effects that are coming down. But again, is this going to solve wage inflation? Is it going to solve house inflation, rental price inflation on the long term? No. I mean, no. fact is, core inflation is at 5.3%. We, we were basically there in December of 2021. So what, what strides... What progress have we made, yeah does Powell have to show here uh, in with an inflation target of 2%. But now we're in this phase when no one takes them seriously anymore. It was actually quite hilarious last week. You know, Fed came out with, because they were in a box, right? Because if, if they raised rates again, they were scared of causing more banking hiccups. Uh, but they didn't want to sound dovish. So they wanted to leave the door open for more rate hikes. And so they put out this hawkish statement on how they're going to maybe do another one in July and maybe another one in September. And, and, and the market impact was not even 30 minutes because Mr. Powell came out and, and, and immediately basically put the kibosh on it and markets went off to rally to new highs to more easing financial conditions because no one believes them. Believes them. Let, let, let me interject there if I, if I can, because yeah. I uh, two things. One, we'll pick up later because I know you and I can really get going on this. But um, to your point about the Fed, is, well, well, right now this rising liquidity is, um, uh, it, it is going to cause the wealth disparity uh, to resurge and, and, and and it's it's really helping those who own financial assets right now, which, as you and I know, is ten percent of the populace, right? So unfair on that. And a couple of years ago, the populace was getting some help. I mean, it, it's help that created this inflation, but they were getting checks. They were getting stimulus. Now that's gone, right? Um, and uh, cost of living has gone through the roof. Uh, will probably continue to as long as this liquidity surge continues. So you're you're helping the wealthy out even more, and you're hurting the the less wealthy, the bottom ninety percent, disproportionately. So it's actually going to make that wealth inequality even worse than it was before. You're not as I'm saying this. We can talk about that in a moment because I'm sure we can, or near the end, because I'm sure we can rail about that for a while. But on on the Fed thing here, where you're saying the market doesn't believe the Fed, that the market hasn't it's been calling the Fed's bluff all year. Right. Fed keeps saying, I'm going to keep hiking. Market says, no, we think you're going to cut earlier. And interestingly, the market's had to change its forecasts of uh, the, the Fed uh, pivot. Um, but that hasn't really impacted 
uh, asset prices. In fact, as we've been talking about, they've, they've, they've now recovered, they won the battle and they're off to, to the races right now. So how many people say is playing for legacy here? You know, I hear a lot of people say, look, don't underestimate Powell's conviction to do whatever he's got to do to get inflation under control eventually, even if that means sacrificing market prices and whatnot. And you're, you've been saying core inflation, which is the Fed's preferred measure, has been sticky. So, and, and, and whether we believe the data or not, the jobs market still looks pretty robust. So that should give Powell a green light to just keep on taking the sledgehammer out and, and continuing to you know hit the economy with more rate hikes and maybe more aggressive QT at some point. I'm just curious, what's your forecast there? Do you think Powell is going to have to ramp it up? And is he going to eventually say markets, I don't care you know, what you want. I'm going to have to be the adult in the room and really do whatever it takes to bring this down. Or do you feel Powell's more of a paper tiger here? Well, I I would like to think that he would actually um, put the hammer on it, but he's revealed himself to not stick to anything time and time again. I'll give you one specific example on this press conference which was, I mean, I, I don't know how you can take it seriously. He was asked specifically about rate cuts, right? And his, his response was not for a couple of years. On the same day that he put out, the Fed put out a dot plot that shows rate cuts next year. Okay. Who, who am I taking seriously here? Um, if if he really wanted to follow through on this, I think he would have had the wherewithal, would have had the wherewithal to be a lot more direct and and more forceful. The fact that the market completely ignored him uh, is is a bit concerning because you would want the Fed to have credibility. Problem is, you literally have fifty speeches each month um, where they're proclamating all kinds of things. I mean, I give an example: this this whole uh, June rate hike. I mean, the, the the market had priced in a June rate hike, outcome Fed speaker after Fed Fed speaker raising the expectations for a Fed rate hike, and all of a sudden they all flip flopped and they took it back down to zero. Mm -hmm. So where where's the sign that they're actually following mm -hmm. through with it? Keep in mind they're the ones flushing through the liquidity, right? I mean, we with bank reserves and everything else that we've seen. Yes, they're taking down the Fed balance sheet. By the way, QT is designed not to upset things, whereas QE is designed to stimulate things. So they haven't they haven't really shown this. And, and they themselves showing rate cuts in next year is not helping their cause if they really wanted to be hawkish. Now, I'm sure we're going to get now, if that's not the reaction that they wanted, they have an opportunity to rectify this this week. Because even Powell's speaking twice, uh, he is giving testimony. So if that's not the reaction he wanted last week, then They'll talk tougher, maybe. Let's see if he talks tougher. Because there's there's your answer, right? The other thing we all have to consider. I hate to get into the political calendar here, but there is a U.S. presidential election coming next year, and Powell's not the ultimate boss here. It's Yellen. Remember Yellen? Yellen concerned about this, Vix dies. Yellen concerned about something else, the Vix dies. She's already announced a treasury buyback program to launch next year. Government buying 
treasuries before you know it. And that that's specifically designed to improve liquidity. So, okay. And so I just want to make sure we, we have this right. So right now she's having to refill the TGA, which technically yeah. should be draining liquidity. But I, I guess from what you're saying, you're not that worried. You don't see it changing the net flows, but tell me if that's wrong. But then she's going to shift next year and she's going to do a, a treasury buyback, which will then obviously add to liquidity. So Yellen to me is obviously a key operative in, in, in the big macro monetary liquidity construct. And now that the treasury account got so low and they're refilling it, the view is, and that's been my view as well, that's actually going to impact bank reserves negatively. And, and a lot of the inflows that we see are going to reverse and they're going to pressure uh, equities, right? So, and we have to watch this week to week. So what happened the first two weeks of June? It didn't barely reduce bank reserves at all. In fact, the first week bank reserves went back up. Last week, they went down by about 25 billion. And maybe that's a red flag because the first two weeks, they actually used the reverse repo facility which tells me that they specifically wanted to avoid a negative impact on bank reserves. Because if, if dumb old me can see the relationship, so can they, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and the question is, how far can they rely on the reserve repo facility? I mean, the, the, the numbers are staggering in terms of what they have to do to refill the TGA account. And we're talking a trillion, trillion and a half dollars. I did mention a $2 trillion deficit coming this year, right? Yeah, so there's there's a ton of funding requirement. And if if this actually does translate into a significant reduction in bank reserves, and you can argue this, this refill of bank reserves going north uh, starting in January was largely, or I shouldn't say largely, but largely impacted by the drainage of the TGA account. And if we now do see them not being able to refill all this via vis-a-vis -vis reverse repo, but they have to redrain bank reserves, then you can find yourselves in a situation where all this, what we've seen here in terms of the market rally was the grand illusion because it was liquidity filled and because price was so aggressive and persistent that it resulted in a complete flip in sentiment. Then it would have been your classic bear market rally bull trap. And, and you can argue that maybe the options complex with one day, zero day options just amplified it all. Yep. Okay. Um, and, that, and that's the, the, the process of discovery we have. And I found it actually in this context curious. Yellen was asked about the TGA account the other day, and she was oddly specific, which she she said something which I was surprised why she even said it, because it wasn't really necessary to say it, but she said she, they're going to add to the, refill the TGA account in June and in July, and then maybe not in August. So she gave a rather specific roadmap for that which to the extent that that means that bank reserves are going to drop if they are, 
then you have a window for market weakness even into July, which is not typical, right? Typically, right. July is, is fairly positive. Um, and then things flip-flop again in August. Uh, so, so hard to say. I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to trade technicals. We're trying to trade the, the signals, but we are, whether we like it or not, we are beholden to the liquidity equation. Uh, so this this is a big issue uh, as as it pertains to to markets. I mean, from my perspective, let's be absolutely clear: this this market rally that we've seen, liquidity fueled or not, is all multiple expansion, massive multiple expansion. I mean, Apple making new highs, great, but it's doing that on you know slowing revenue and earnings growth. I mean, that's that's what you have in 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 this year, right? And if you're bullish, you say, well, this, the worst of the decline is over. Uh, okay, that's that's the bold argument to make, knowing that we haven't hit the full lag effects at all yet, that that wall is still coming, right? We haven't seen the full effect of tightening in lending standards. This is, this is, this is the hard part this year, uh, absolute hard part. I called it flying blind earlier because none of us know when and where and how hard it's going to hit. You know, philosophically, I can say, well, you know, we're, we, we've tripled debt since 2009, and, and now we've got the highest rates we've had since 2006, and you're telling me it has no impact what, whatsoever. Um, that doesn't inherently make sense to me. But then when I look at, again, liquidity in terms of M2 and the balance sheets and mortgage-backed security holdings and so forth that haven't really been reversed in any major way. I, I get why we, we got risk full on again. Uh, so the animal spirits, they haven't, been, they haven't been extinguished at all. I mean, that's typically what you would see in a bear market. People puking out their positions and capitulating and everybody hates stocks forever and ever and amen. But that's not what happened here. Right. We didn't get anywhere close to that, I don't think. So let, no, let, let there, was, there, was, there was no panic. There wasn't there was no fear at all. This is what let's go back to my lower highs in VIX. It was lower VIX than in 2021. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, what did you call it? You called it like the most controlled market decline or whatever. Most controlled bear market ever, but it wasn't even a bear market. But, but, but it, was it wasn't a bear market. That's why I, yeah, by your definition. So I was trying not to use that word exactly. So yeah, we yeah, never we yeah. never saw the panic. No. Um so because let me, let me, they intervened yeah. very subtly by changing the liquidity. Yeah. So so let, let me ask this. So um, you know the, the the economy is not nearly growing by as much as the markets have this year, right? Which is why I believe you said it's all multiple expansion, right? Um, that's the liquidity just just pricing, making things get priced ever more richly. Thinking about the economy for a second, and and I just want to dial into the lag effect because you mentioned it a number of times here. Um, so I sort of think about imagine a building with a with a side elevator on it, right? And the Fed is standing on the roof of the building and it's looking at the side elevator rise. And let's say the economy is the side elevator. And it says, you know what? It's 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 rising too fast, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna do a rate hike, which is the equivalent of of releasing an anvil off the side of the building to, to land on top of the elevator and slow it down a bit, right? And Powell decided, you know what, the that elevator is rising, rising so fast. I'm going to throw more anvils. I'm just, I'm, that, that's what last year was, just chucking a bunch of anvils of different sizes over the side. Now they're in their progression of falling, 
right? That's the lag effect. We don't know how many have actually hit that elevator yet. Our guesstimate would be probably not that many so far if the true lag is 12 to 16 months or whatever you said, right? So in theory, that rising elevator is going to get hit by more and more and more of these anvils, even if the Fed stays pauses from here on out, right? And, and so um, a big open question, this is sort of why I think you said you're, we're flying blind, is we don't know what the net impact uh, or the net effect of the impact of all those anvils are going to be as they hit over the coming quarters here. Um, that could really slow, we could stop the elevator, right? And that's the problem with the lag effect is, is if the Fed is over-tightened, that elevator may stop and it's going to keep getting hit by anvils over time, could make, could make a pretty bad situation worse. We just don't know. And maybe, I'm just guessing here, maybe that's why Powell is pausing now, but keeping the door open for more rate hikes is he's He's maybe got more confidence that the market does, that that lag effect is going to make a difference. Who knows? Um, but the other element we have here, so that, that's the economy, right? And in theory, the market should be based off of what the economy is doing, right? If it generates X amount of earnings, well, then the markets should react to that. You're shaking your head because what really matters there is the amount of liquidity, right? So we have this weird world where the economy could really stumble, yet markets might not if this net liquidity just keeps rising. And I will say there's a ton of bears who are scratching their head coming into this year. And I'll, I'll be honest, I was one of them. We could see, okay, monetary stimulus is, is over. Fiscal stimulus is declining in terms of just what Congress is being able to, to get past at least. Um, and we have these rate hikes and we have QT and we have the banks tightening lending standards following the banking crisis and all these things, that, and the TGA having to be, all these things that you think would be net liquidity contractors but they haven't been. So as a as a nervous bear, you got to be thinking, oh my God, well, when times are good, I mean, <laughs> or, or, or you know, what are these guys going to do in the future for, for more liquidity? If, if, if this was the bad liquidity, oh my gosh, the not so bad liquidity is going to be like ponies for everybody. Well, first of all, I would, you know, again, $2 trillion deficit, I would say, simply say that's stimulative. That I mean, is stimulative. It is. <laughs> I mean, look, look at construction spending. I'll give you, that's another argument right. for both. If you think there's tightening going on, no, it's gone vertical. A right. lot of it has to do with and the the packages that were- uh, The Inflation passed. Reduction Act, all that infrastructure spending, yeah. Right, massive infrastructure spending. Uh, and, and so that's stimulative. So don't, don't anyone tell me there's not stimulus running through the economy. That's stimulative, okay? Um, deficit spending- is stimulative. I mean, typically, you know, you, you get the big deficits when there's actually a recession and they, they need to stimulate. I mean, if, if you're running a $2 trillion deficit during a non-recession period, what, what are you going to spend when the actual next recession comes? And by the way, let's just, I'll be clear, we're all working with fantasy numbers, all right? I mean, yep. this, this, this deal, that ceiling deal that just got passed on based on CBO projections, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, just don't ever intellectually insult us all because all these forecasts, all of them are based on no recession ever, you know, just always, stim, you know, continuous positive GDP growth. And, you know, I look at net interest expenditures on debt is already outdated in the, in the first year. You know, you, you just got to realize that, you know, the the real math effects of what's happening with higher rates for longer 
will have a dramatic impact on on the sustainability of the debt construct because all this debt is rolling over will have to be refinanced not only the two trillion they're going to have in, in new deficits this year it's all the rolling over debt that came from cheap rates that's that i this year next year going to be have to refinance i mean interest in debt's going to be over a trillion dollars this year it's going to go higher unless they they cut rates right which which is constrictive that's that's not liquidity no it's, it, it it is and and this is the thing with also the labor market you know that everybody is having a positive view on at the moment that's what always happens you know the labor market is the last to go uh and and that's why i'm a little you know I'm, I'm i'm not too keen on the data points that we're getting with all these seasonal adjustments because i i can't see what's real and what's not i mean on the one hand i see you know ever more layoff announcements on the other hand i see a 3.4 percent unemployment rate also although it just ticked up to 3.7 percent um but you know the, the, the fact is labor market's still tight you got a lot of people you know the unfortunately people are passing away and so there's there's wealth transfer going on so there's there's still uh, a whole wall of monetary stimulus coming in the next few years i i, I keep going back to this this whole notion of what how are you going to beat structural inflation you know yes the the event inflation part is over but the structural part the the traditional solution was a recession it was it was not you know the next bubble forming and right. off we off we go which is kind of where we are if i look at you know the the, the valuation expand i mean I, when i say people are piling in they're piling in i mean microsoft which is a great company and obviously they're now one of the key ai plays out there but when i see a market cap expanding by half a trillion dollars in less than two months that's not only a lot of revenue that ultimately has to come in but that's just enormous amount of earnings that has to justify yeah that uh so you know and, and with the vix again completely collapsed to three-year lows there's just no fear in the market at, at this point uh, at all yeah there's, uh, so, there's so many things i want to keep wanting to ask you about and I'm, I'm trying to be silent as silent as possible and let you talk because you're doing such a great job but but i gotta interrupt you on the vix so is the vix even a useful measure metric at this point i think this is a really fair question um that i have to acknowledge i think it may be broken i mean a lot of people are considering it broken and and for good reason um the impact as i mentioned earlier on, on the options complex it's it's so dramatic and how it's colored i mean i recently i've seen days where it doesn't matter what the vix does it goes up the market goes up it goes down the market goes up it, it, it just it just that the you would think that at some point when you see the most obvious program on the planet which is you know, i.e vix crush fridays you know if, if too many people see it it becomes itself an, a useless indicator and ultimately even becomes a trap i mean we we've seen this before with the VIX there was a few years ago there was an ETF product that blew up in everybody's face ultimately um it, it seems to me you know the with the valuation and the technical disconnects becoming so vast that this 
incredible low volatility that we see is ultimately conducive for another big rip higher uh, that no one sees coming at the moment and then maybe no one's positioned for it I, I mentioned call uh, call record call volumes I mean this is hardly any demand for puts at all and they're really cheap the the, the, lo the boat is very much loaded one way but you also have to be cognizant beating the VIX below 20 and now into the the 13 range you know this this is the time periods when you when you have confirm new bull markets remember in 2017 it, you know just dropped to 10 11 uh or what have you um but i i would i'm definitely uh, I, I, I went short the fangs for a little while during that period uh and boy that was just terrible <laughs> no i mean there's the old phrase you know markets can remain irrational a lot longer than you can remain solvent is the phrase and I, I think the emphasis here is on irrational so if, if if you think that markets are forward looking well you know they weren't so forward looking in January 2022 when everybody was proclaiming 5200 5400 whatever on, on, yeah. on the SP no it's liquidity and unfortunately we're all subject to it and we're also then subject to shifting narratives as price then moves in in a different direction at some point um my view has been for 23 we just got to be respectful of all possibilities uh but we got to be also mindful of shifting risk reward okay I mean I, I was bullish October lows October bullish or November, January bullish in March when the SVB thing happened now I'm having a real rough time to be honest with you justifying any new longs we you know tech's been going vertical now for weeks uh that's to me is kind of a not a good I mean weekly uh, RSI completely outside the weekly Bollinger Band back to the March highs from last year uh, super extended uh, I can't justify new longs on on tech here um, so to, to me that's kind of an initial corrective type situation on what we have been doing is is looking at small caps and and the Dow Jones as long plays because that was kind of the the catch-up trade because some indicators were clearly oversold even though we did not have a single larger correction in May we got oversold indicators because the larger market was correcting while the indices chopped in May. Remember that chop period that we had for about six weeks or something yep. like that. Um, that was the battle for control. That was that was definitely a battle for control. And and now that we've broken to the upside, you know, tech's gotten even more of a bot. Uh, but there's there've been opportunities with the down. I mentioned this potential inverse. It hasn't confirmed, but it could play um, you know one of those things you, you want to see validations uh small caps i have to say if it, actually there's a lot of financials in small caps and maybe worth looking at a larger chart of the banks bkx because as i mentioned the october interventions actually came at an opportune time on on tech because that was the point where it looked like everything was going to break trend and guess what in march uh, banks were looking to break trend and that's when the intervention came uh, and if you look at that chart though you know there is a bounce but it's really tepid and I, I think this is maybe want to accentuate the potential bear case here because this all sounds like 
bears don't have a prayer and yes if i go to 2006 2007 example we're going to hit new highs before anything bad happens right if, if the lag effects take that long but if i look at the banking index it's barely bounced you know the recent rally here in june barely bounced i mean uh, if if you think you can have a sustained bull market without the banks participating you know you're you're a lot braver than than i am so i'm i'm not sure that this is a positive sign and, and the second thing i want to highlight here is rates themselves in 2022 if you look at the ndx vis-a-vis -vis the tnx and uh, on this chart here i have tnx inverted so you see the the relationship uh clearly outlined so if 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 you're on the chart seeing tnx going up at uh, going up it actually means it's going down and vice versa um meaning that if you have higher rates it impacted tech negatively that's what happened all of last year and it was in then in the fall time frame when when the 10 year actually peaked uh that's when you found a, a bottom in markets in general and since then you know we've had a big reversion in in yields and that was supportive of the tech rally that was supportive of the overall market rally because from that perspective you can argue that was the peak in tightening right again higher yields matter and yet something really weird happened this year and that is it's another one of those relationships that got totally blown out of the water uh, because yields actually have been rising and and tech has completely and utterly ignored that and I have a hard time reconciling this from a fundamental perspective because tech does not like higher yields in general. Tech's been living of low rates since the 2009 lows. Yeah, rates go up, doesn't like it. That's why we had the hiccup in 2018, right? Because they were actually raising rates. Yep. Um, now, rates have blown far beyond that. And if you look at the TNX weekly chart, that's and I did a little Northcast on this a while back. It it is actually confounding that chart because it's looking like a gigantic bull flag. And I have a tough time reconciling that with everything I said before, you know, about maybe the Fed not following through, what have you. Uh, because if that's a bull flag and it's so clean, it's it, it's it's as clean as the chart was last year with the SP going down. Uh it, and maybe it's related to the refilling of the TGA account. I can't say. But this chart says higher yields. I'm not sure you can sustain a rally indefinitely with higher yields coming. So I think this is a really important chart for everyone to watch. Yes, it's been ignored. And maybe the liquidity that we referenced earlier has allowed everyone to ignore that. But the 10 years back at 3.8%. Last year, when the 10 year was at 3.8%, no one was happy about that. The one year is massively over 5%. And, and all of a sudden, you're looking at a reality where earnings yield is dropped to the point where, 
from an investor perspective, you get right. the same yield. I mean, Why would you take the equity point? risk? Yeah, exactly. So, so do I want to take the equity risk with valuations sky high, markets having massively recovered in the VIX at 13? I wonder. And then you get into the issue of, okay, last year we had this the worst bond equity performance ever, the 60-40. And now you have kind of a mismatch here going on and you're looking at the end of the quarter and you have to wonder, okay, what, what is the task by pension funds? Remember a lot of this is not, uh, is not a choice. They have standards to meet, balancing standards to meet. And now I wonder, and I'm speculating here, but I'm wondering if, if we're going to see some rebalancing as a result of this relationship all of a sudden. And if meaning if, selling of equities, buying of bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, why why take the risk at, at this point in, in the cycle? Just in front of lag effects, I you know, after a big massive, massive rally. Now, having said all this, I go back to what I said earlier. As long as the monthly 20 MA on the SP holds bullseye in control, bears have to drop below the monthly 20 MA and they have to drop below the quarterly 5 EMA. You do not have a bear market at all. And on any retrace, and this is also important from a technical perspective, now that we've ripped this high vertically and gotten this overbought, there is a typical, probably very frustrating for the bears event. That means if you get an initial pullback, 5%, something like that, and you reconnect with some of these MAs that are currently disconnected, you're going to be oversold really fast. Mm-hmm. So my buying, you know, an overpowering liquidity reduction in bank reserves, which may happen, I, I can't say that they won't, but buying that, I would suspect that the first corrective dip will get bought. And um, not only because of technicals, but also anyone that's missed a rally will want to get on board, right? And so let's say you get a move back to the 50 MA on the S&P or the, the NASDAQ, which these would be sizable reversions all of a sudden because we're that far disconnected, right? But I'll just throw this out as a hypothetical. If you get that, you will likely see a bounce from there, see a rally. And then what happens next is gonna be for me the key decisive point. Will that result in new highs uh, for BCV what we're seeing now? Or is, is this gonna roll over for a lower high and then we see actually the lag effects taken over. And I go back to a chart I mentioned, I think at the tail end of our last discussion a few months ago, which was the S&P seasonality chart. And for all the things that we just discussed, um, it, it is hilarious in a way because it's still playing. <laughs> and, that, and that chart had a March low and a June peak. Guess what? We had a March low at a June peak calls for a little dip into the end of June and then more highs in July. And, and, and that chart basically says game over for bears this year. And maybe gets another correction in September, October, but they're just going to keep at it. So for all the complexities out there, they're also, you know, standard workings through the market that may well extend this still into next year. You know, especially if, if liquidity keeps flowing. So I, I, I would say this has generally been a um, 
very maneuverable environment uh, over the last year and a half. But now we're getting back to a point where credulity is kind of being stretched again because of the belief that suddenly nothing bad's going to ever happen again because nothing bad has happened, right? And 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 that's the challenge here. You know, technically, I can't buy convincingly here now. Uh, I can make a technical case for buying pullbacks. Um, but I can also still make the case for a major rollover to come. The question is, is the when? And and that's that's the unknowable at, at this point. I would just say, generally speaking, nothing has been cleansed. The monetary excess is still in the system. Valuations are still sky high. In fact, they got just brutally more expensive. I mean, you're looking at almost 20 PE again on the S&P. You're looking at the leaders of... You know the AI club obviously being through the roof uh, on on that basis. So you know I, I would say as long as the labor market's holding, and I think bulls will want to continue pressing on dips. But once you see the labor market rolling over, remember the the historical script: structural bottoms happen not when the Fed pauses rates, but when they're panic cutting, because then something will have broken. All right. So, Sven, listening to everything you've said here, it sounds to me like you are a pretty solid bear fundamentally, <laughs> but you're a technical analyst and you're looking at the uh, the TA and you're looking at the, the effective policy decisions and you're saying, ah, man, I mean, they can keep this thing going for a lot longer than the bears can imagine here. So I got to presume that this is a, a, a more challenging time for investors, you know, you, you've you've had a long season career. Uh, is this true? Is this have we entered again yet another kind of on the metrics of easy and hard? The hard part of of making investing decisions at this point. Yeah, to you know, speaking about you know how far this can go. I mean, this this is the, the way I've you know there have been times when I've been fighting the tape brutally. Uh, when markets are indeed irrational and i've learned a few tricks along the way as well um you got to be so respectful of of the strength and, and we went from conviction long to cautious um now trying to position for fade but always every week we're finding a long entry because of of the persistence in the in the tape and we're looking where we can where we can justify that at least right i mean i'm Again, from a technical perspective, new longs here, conviction new longs, to me, does not make sense. It may well make sense in two weeks, you know, uh, if we get a nice pullback or something like that, or next mm -hmm. month. Um, it, it's always a balancing act between net long and net short for us. And uh, the the risk reward from my perspective vis-a-vis -vis October has clearly shifted at, at this point. But you you got to be respectful of the strength. And I said 2006, 2007, you know, they passed rate hikes and markets went off to make new highs. And I can even use 1999-2000 as a uh, reference example. Why did we have that blow-off top in the NASDAQ in 2000? I'll tell you why. Because the Greenspan back then added a bunch of liquidity. Why? Because there was a bunch of fear about Y2K. 
it was not until that liquidity got pulled out that the Nasdaq completely collapsed on itself. So I hate to say this from cycle to cycle, the Fed folks have their fingers in the liquidity pot and they are massively impacting how markets flow, whether we like it or not. And, and so you, know, you can argue with the market or, or you got to be respectful of, of the powers that be that are involved in it. I mean, you mentioned me being bearish on the, on the macro. I, I, can, I can certainly say that I, I see massive recession risk uh, but I, even historically, I can say this can take a while to play out. But as we saw, now I'll give you one other reference. A lot of what we're seeing this year is kind of reminiscent in a way of what we saw in 2008, right? SVB, same weekend as Bear Stearns. What, what did we see in Bear Stearns? Massive intervention. Mm -hmm. And we had a massive rally. And everybody was happy. And back then, Bear Stearns, the, that rally petered out in mid-May. And then it was lights out. This time, and it hasn't petered out in May. It continued into June, right? And and back then, we were below the key moving averages. Now we're far above. So you, you can make the case it's it's not the same. But I'm just saying in terms of script where people think, okay, now things are much better because nothing bad has happened and they saved the day. Well, that has happened before. This is, This is the most uncomfortable thing for me right now is the flying blind aspect that we talked about in terms of the impacts now if you're not concerned about you know you're not concerned about flying blind you just pile in right because nothing nothing bad's going to happen but that's what happened in 2008 right because the 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 economic impact was felt and it will be felt here as well um and now the fed basically has said well you know we're not Again, they're going to say we're not going to cut this year. And in a way, that's bad news because that means the lag effects will ultimately be more powerful. Right? You, you would want to see that inflation fight having been won. But the reason the inflation fight hasn't been won, in my view, is that by having induced that much liquidity and wealth right. effect, and they are actually delaying their own victory, which forces them to be higher for longer. In the most debt-laden economy ever, in any of our lifetimes. So you, you, you overtly risk that something does break out of the blue and the equation changes. So to be completely complacent as this market is right now, Greed indicators through the roof. Everybody bullish now, having seen that sentiment shift. You know, all these people that were skeptical piling in. Well, who's going to save the day when this thing goes down? Because you don't have a lot of these previous shorts to cover, right? There are still shorts out there. You know, commercial speculators definitely are. And they're actually been adding to positions on the last few months, which is interesting because that's also what they did in 2007. They looked horrifically wrong, but they were ultimately proven terrifically right in a bad way, right? Um, so there, this, this is a complex journey. That, that no, I would not be blasé about it, but you got to be cognizant of the risk. Right. And this this is where I was going with saying this is, this is 
now on the hard side of the investing scale where it's it's difficult to navigate what's going on here all right so two questions for you um first is we've got regular people who watch this channel and they are just trying to navigate what's going on hopefully not become collateral damage to anything bad uh and to try to at least make some money with a relatively acceptable uh, risk return ratio uh, if things go well uh what would sort of be some of your parting advice to those folks? You know, I heard you say like, all right, don't go super long into tech right now. Maybe buy on a pullback, wait for a pullback to buy. If there's a pullback, if you're bearish, don't pile in immediately because that's likely to get bought in the near term. Um, what other bits of counsel would you give them? Well, you know, for, first of all, one of, one of the things that was missing, by the way, in May, our interview with Sven will continue over in part two, which will be released on this channel tomorrow as soon as we're finished editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to hit the like button too while you're down there. Finally, if the challenges Sven has detailed in this interview have you feeling a little vulnerable about the prospects for your wealth, then consider scheduling a free no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your wealth, keeping in mind the trends and risks and opportunities that Sven's mentioned here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you next over in part two of our interview with Sven Henrik.